I chose verse 26 for a proverb of the day. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. I got to keep that in mind every time I turn on the news, don't you? So we've been uh, in a series talking about the afterlife, particularly about what life will be like for Christians after after we make the transition from this world. Um, and um, so just in case you know, didn't know that's where we are and we're, we're in that topic, there was this hospital room, a waiting room, and a group of relatives were gathered because one of their loved ones was in a pretty, pretty grim circumstance, critical. And the doctor eventually came out and he said, you know, I've got some, some, some sad and some bad news for you. There's really nothing else I can do. I've done everything I can. The only thing left now would be a brain transplant. <laughs> this is a story, honey. It's going to be okay. Okay. No, no, serious. Did you hear? Really? Oh, okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> okay, back where I left. The only thing I can do is a brain transplant. And um, the, 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 the thing is that it's a very, very expensive and it's risky. And um, the worst thing is that you have to pay for the brain yourself. There's no insurance that will cover the brain itself. And... Um, family quiet for, for a while in the room and they got to thinking and, and somebody finally says, well, I, I got a question about this. How much does a brain cost? And the doctor says, well, it, it depends. If it's a male brain, it costs $10,000 and if it's a female brain, it's 200 The room immediately turned awkward. I'm talking about that room, not this room. You know, it turned awkward, and the men kind of started smirking, and they quit making eye contact. They started looking at their feet, and they wouldn't look around. And um, finally, one of the men mustered up enough nerve and said, you know, he's smirking. And he says, you know, hey, Doc, um, what's the deal? Why does the female brain cost so much less than the male? The doctor, of course, saw what was going on and, um, you know, the smirking and all looking around. And he basically said, you know, it's, a, it's just a simple... Uh, application of free market economics, we have to mark the female brain down because it's been used. <laughs> All the men are glaring at me like, traitor! <laughs> the truth is, every one of us has used our bodies up some more than others, and um, you know, the longer we use them, the more wear and tear that shows itself on our bodies and on our brains, I guess, too. So the question would come up is, why on earth would God even want to resurrect these bodies of ours? Because they get used up, and they get banged up, and we get these problems. And that's the topic before us today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So far in this series, we've talked about the death. Um, we've talked about death. We've talked about the death of a Christian, um, being absent from the body, present with the Lord. We've talked about the return of Christ. And today we're going to talk about the resurrection. And it's a really, really important topic. And now I've been, you know, in this series, I've gotten a lot of feedback from people after every service. There's people with comments and questions. Um, and they're, you know, some of the things that maybe you've thought of too. You know, what about cremation? Um, is, it, is the cremation okay for a Christian after they die? Um, what happens to infants? What happens to babies? Um, wh what happens if you lose a limb or, or if you have some sort of surgery and they take part of you out and, or if you're incapacitated or if you have some sort of um, problem? You know, what happens in the resurrection with all of that stuff? And uh, I, I think one of the biggest questions that comes up is why, why does God want to resurrect this body if we're going to get a new one anyway? You know, what's, why, why use this? 
And uh, these are not new questions. These are questions that Paul must have been getting, the very same kinds of questions. In fact, so much so that he devoted this entire chapter to the topic of the resurrection. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 is probably the most extensive treatment um, of the topic of the resurrection in, the whole, in all of Scripture. And um, 1 Corinthians has a couple of famous passages, maybe 1 Corinthians 13, you know, of as the love, love chapter. We relate to that one really well. It's beautiful, it's poetic, and it makes a lot of sense to us. 1 Corinthians 15 is probably of the same caliber when it comes to the topic of the resurrection, but not so well known. Because it's easy for us to understand the ideas of kindness and beauty and patience. But resurrection is hazy. We're just kind of hazy on that topic. Um, but uh, anyway, so before, and, and, and on this topic, you know, before we d- dive too far into it, maybe you think um, you know, that the topic, the resurrection of the body, is kind of one of the advanced spiritual topics. It's pretty technical. But you need to know that it's not. This is a very, very fundamental issue um, for Christians to understand about. It's, it's, it's Christianity 101. So listen to what the writer of the Hebrews says about this topic. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of, and here's a list of things that are basic, things that we've already, we should have got these covered by now. He lists these, repentance from acts that lead to death, and the faith in God, instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and God, God permitting, we will do so. So this falls into the category of very, very basic teaching that we ought to have a handle on. But I think that even though it's basic and pretty fundamental, a lot of people are hazy about this, and I have to say, I don't think there's a lot of teaching in churches in my years growing up in church. I don't think there's been a lot of teaching on it, and um, so we're going to spend a little bit of time today on this topic. My dad... Um, was in, was in the Navy. Now, he was way out of the Navy before I grew up, but I, I was a little, little tiny guy, enough to know that there was some Navy in him, which made family um, gatherings kind of interesting because he was in the Navy. I had another uncle who was in the Marines and another uncle, uncle who was in the Air Force. And you can probably picture how um, I can remember some of the ribbing going on. But I, one of the things I remember about my dad, I don't know if he did this once or 50 times. I think it was closer to one. Might have done it a handful of times. But I remember a few times in the morning where he would roust me. And I don't know if he put his hand up here and he would go, <laughs> you know, he would say, Reveille, Reveille, Reveille. Man your sweepers, man your brooms. Dump all garbage off the fantail. Anybody here in the Navy? <laughs> Nobody here has been in the Navy? Did you ever hear anything about dumping garbage off the fantail? Okay, I think today you probably it's different. You know, put the garbage in the burner or something. I don't know. But he would say that to me, and it's like, okay, I think he was just having fun. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, that was different than the ways my mother at times would, <laughs> would wake me up. She would come in with a sweet, gentle voice. Rise and shine, Terry. Rise and shine, sunshine. <laughs> so moms are different than dads, aren't they, in that? You know, you know, dad, like, bang, bang, bang on a garbage can lid. Get out of bed, you know. <laughs> Rise and shine, the birds are singing, you know. And there's something in me that that's closer, the rise and shine is closer because someday Jesus is going to say something like that. That's probably a paraphrase of what he's going to say. And um, here's here's an example in John chapter 5, and this scripture is Jesus talking. He says, do not marvel at this. Don't be surprised by this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Speaking about the resurrection. They're going to hear him saying, come on, 
Come out of the grave. Come on. Something. So in setting our tone for um, our study of, the resur- of our resurrection, you and me, when we are resurrected, we're going to look at the past. We're going to look at it from the past, the present, and the future. We're going to start with the past. And our text today is going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's pray over the text before we go too far. Lord, this is your word, and we yield our hearts and our intellect and our will to the wisdom of heaven. Now, that I'm not saying, suggesting at all, Lord, that we would park our intellect at the door but there's something of faith. This is the only thing, your word is the only thing that you honor even above your name. So Lord, as we dive into your word today, I pray that truth will come to the surface and everything that's of man and philosophy will be sifted out of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, starting in verse three. For I deliver, this is Paul talking to the church at at Corinth. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose up again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, in context for you, when he says the scriptures, he doesn't mean the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't exist yet. It's forming. So when he talks to the church at Corinth, when he says according to the the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament, right? According to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins, and according to the scriptures, he rose again the third day. And I think it's helpful to know the context of the people because a lot of people in Corinth just plain flat out denied the resurrection would, would even happen altogether. Not, not just the resurrection of Christ, but resurrection in, as a principle. They just said, people, dead people don't get up. They don't. So Paul, in these nine, 19 verses, um, which is our text, he's basically going to make this case. Well, listen, if there's no resurrection, that means that Christ didn't rise from the dead. And, and if he didn't rise from the dead, then that means all this preaching you hear and all these teachings you hear, that's just stupid, vain stuff. It's a waste of time. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then your faith is in vain and you know, you're, just, you're, just, you're still dead in your sins. So he's basically saying if there's no resurrection, so he's counteracting their, their philosophy that resurrection doesn't happen. And, um, and the reason he's doing that is because the gospel has to have the resurrection. The gospel, as you and I would call it the gospel of the good news, is basically this. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. That's the gospel. It's that simple. It, and, and there's no good news. The word gospel means good news. There's no good news in a statement, Jesus died. That's bad news, right? But if he was buried and he gets out of the grave, <laughs> that's spectacular news. Okay, okay, so... I mean, that's the good news that he rose and he conquered. So in these two verses, Paul is tying the resurrection of Jesus back to the Old Testament, okay? And um, it is not some sort of a new idea that, that had just been thought up where you got these disciples going, hey, let's, let's add to our religion that you get to live after you die. Okay, well, we'll just stick that in. That's not what's going on here. It was anticipated, uh, been around a long time, it was anticipated in the Old Testament. Here's, here's some other examples. Job, you've, you've heard of Job, who lived during about the time of Abraham, which is before Moses. He was one of the patriarchal figures in, in Scripture. So there was a point where he was sick, and he spoke about his own future resurrection. And this is one of the greatest passages of Scripture. I love this. Job 19, starting in verse 25. It says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, 
that in my flesh, after my skin is destroyed, in my flesh, I'm, I'm, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, that in my flesh I shall see God. He's talking about personally being resurrected, even though his skin is destroyed, somehow, after that happens, he's going to see his Redeemer with his own eyes. This is centuries before there's a Redeemer. This is centuries before any hint of a gospel. It's centuries before there's any scripture about resurrection. Here's this guy who lived during the patriarchal period of the Old Testament, and he's saying that even though my body's going to decay, somehow in the future, with my own eyes, <laughs> I'm going to see my Redeemer. That's resurrection. Now, that's old. That's old Old Testament. Some people believe that the book of Job is the oldest book, maybe. And resurrection is also predicted in the Psalms. Maybe, you, maybe you've heard before that um, the birth of Christ is, and, and the resurrection of Christ is somehow predicted in the Old Testament. And many, many times, it's, 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 in fact, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, he's making this, this speech before, the, before a bunch of pe- people who were not so sure, and he's explaining to them, and he's quoting, he's actually quoting Psalm 16 there, if you read Acts chapter 2. So he's quoting King David. Psalm 16, um, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also will see, excuse me, my body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Now, those are the words of David. And Peter pulls that out. He says to the people that are present, hey guys, uh, gentlemen, David's not talking about himself here because... He's in the grave. There's his tomb, right? There's David's tomb. He's still in there. He's, he, he says, David here is in this psalm is speaking as a prophet. He's foretelling about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So resurrection is anticipated in the time of the patriarchs. It's anticipated in the time that the psalms were written. Um, it's also anticipated by some of the prophets. Here's one for Daniel, from Daniel uh, chapter 12, verse 2. He's talking about people, people who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So some people who say, would say that, that resurrection is a New Testament idea, uh-uh, it's, been, it's all throughout scripture, it's been around a long, long time, and anticipated all throughout history. The simple truth is this, everybody is going to get up. Everybody. And um, the good, the bad, the evil, the righteous, Everybody is going to get up one day, and that's called the resurrection. So something about the resurrection, I mean, it's, it's the center point of Christianity. It's what makes the story of Christ um, good news, the, the, the gospel, that he, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. In fact, almost every sermon that you read preached in the book of Acts, almost every sermon is about the resurrection. But not everybody believed there was a group of people um, in, the, uh, in, the, in the Jewish culture there, a group of people called the Sadducees, you read about in the New Testament, and they did not believe in angels, they didn't believe in spirits, and they did not believe in resurrection. And these are people who basically had no hope, I mean, for their future. It's just whatever's going on here and now and today, this is it. No resurrection. And they weren't the only ones. The Greeks pretty much felt the same way, from, probably based on the, the teaching of Plato, but... Um, they basically felt that um, th- there was no resurrection. And, and in Acts chapter 17, Paul's preaching in Ath- Athens, and um, he's talking about the resurrection, and, um, and, and all the people there thought he was nuts. You know, wh- why? The reason they did was because in their mind, resurrection is abhorrent. It's, it's, 
it's the body, their belief was that the body is a prison. These are the teachings of Plato. The body is a prison. And, um, you know, the hope is to escape the prison of the body. And why would anybody ever want to come back in this body anyway? You know, and they just couldn't get that. So it's also mentioned, resurrection is also mentioned in the New Testament. Um, there were a couple of teachers. Uh, Paul names them, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And, and he writes this in 2 Timothy about these two guys. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will, more, will become more and more ungodly. Listen, right there, that just begs to be a sermon all by itself, doesn't it? <laughs> Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. By the way, their teaching will spread like gangrene. These are godless chatter. I went off on this rabbit trail early this morning. The word there is gangrena. gangrena. It's, it's a Greek word. It literally means gangrene. You're laughing at me right now. Nice try, Terry. I, 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 I started scrambling. I said, Lisa, go print something for me this morning. From Mayo Clinic. Gangrene refers to the death of body tissue due to either a lack of blood flow or a serious bacterial infection. It commonly affects the extremities, toes, fingers, limbs, can also occur in muscles and internal organs. Treatments for gangrene include surgery to remove the dead tissue, antibiotics, etc. The prognosis for recovery is better if gangrene is identified early and treated quickly. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it, they spread gangrene. End of rabbit trail. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> it is. It is. That's the word that God chose to describe that kind of chatter that leads people astray. Anyway, so they, they, it says they say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. So now they have, Paul is addressing, because there's a group present in the church at Corinth, these believers, denying the resurrection. That makes me scratch my head. Okay. And, and because the resurrection is a cornerstone of the gospel. And here's the thing, the point. Satan will attack the concept of resurrection at every turn. He, he, will, he wants to extract it even from the hearts of believers if it could be done. Anyway, that's the past. So now let's talk about the viewpoint of resurrection from the present. Verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits. I'm excited about that word. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, speaking of by Adam, since by man came death, by man, now it's a capital M, um, that would be Christ, right? By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, there's that word again, and afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. So Paul here is explaining how God's going to deal with death and how the resurrection of Jesus relates to every other resurrection that's going to happen. And you catch that word in there, first fruits. It's in there a couple of times. Jesus is the first fruits. This is a Jewish metaphor. Um, they would have understood it. Um, every year they had a, a feast, um, a feast called the Feast of First Fruits. And it was a, from the harvest. They would be, it would be harvest time. And this would be the very first sample of whatever pro produce that they were producing in their farms or whatever it is that they did. And they would bring to an offering uh, of first fruits to the Lord, an offering of first fruits, the first installment. 
they would bring this first fruit offering before they would even harvest all of the rest of their crops. Go get some, bring the offering, now go do the harvest kind of a deal. It was a big deal. They had a big festival, and uh, these people understood this terminology. But here's the really, really important point that you don't want to miss here. If you bring a first fruit offering, if you bring a first fruit something, if God does that, by necessity, that means that there's going to be a harvest that comes afterwards. Right? There isn't a first fruit and then stop. Nobody would go and pick some raspberries for just some raspberries and then let the rest of them rot on the vine. You're going after the whole crop. So when Jesus rose from the dead, and if his resurrection was the first fruit, it has to be that there's coming a harvest of resurrection. The resurrection of all of God's children has to follow. So our resurrection was irrevocably triggered by that first fruit resurrection. That's why that's such a, I love that word. Paul's speaking in Acts 26. He says, To this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim the light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. There's that same concept, concept again, the first fruits. And it's kind of telling that there's going to be a harvest coming. Now, some of you students of the Bible, maybe you're sitting there now going, okay, um, hold up a second there, Terry. Um, what do you mean first? Because weren't there some other people resurrected before Jesus? Nice catch. Yes, that's true. There were. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, people that rose from the dead before Jesus. First Kings 17, Elijah raises uh, a widow's son. Um, Second Kings 4, Elisha raises a Shunammite son. Um, in the New Testament, Lazarus is raised from the dead. Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow from Nain. Um, they're, they're all raised from the dead. And all of those events happen before Christ raises from the dead. Okay. So what, what's Paul mean, say, when Jesus rose first? And Jesus is the first fruits. Well, here's what, here's, what he's, here's what he's saying, and here's what's significantly different. All of those people rose only to die again, okay? They didn't ra- they were, when they rose, when they were resurrected their first time, they didn't raise in their glorified bodies. They rose from the dead, they lived for a while, and had to do it all over again. Jesus is different. He rose in a glorified body. We're going to talk about that. It's not just the same human body as they did. It was his body. You need to understand it was his body that he rose in, but it was his glorified body, and it's his permanent, and it's his forever body. Jesus is the first fruit of that resurrection. And here's the point. When Jesus got out of the tomb on what we would call Easter morning or whenever that happened, when he, when he conquered death by his resurrection, it wasn't only to prove that he was the Messiah, it wasn't only to prove that he was you know, God in human flesh. It wasn't only to prove that he's unique, although all of those things are true. But because Jesus was the first fruits, says Paul, his resurrection requires our resurrection. He needed to do that to become the first fruits because that was part of God's plan, which we're going to come to now. Since, since he rose from the dead bodily, we are also going to rise from the dead bodily. I got a question this week, you know, if God wants to resurrect our body, you know, why is he going to do that if we're going to have a new body anyway? I mean, after all this time, all the wear and tear, 
why resurrect this? <laughs> it's a great question, God. <laughs> it's like, you know, what's up with that? Why the emphasis on resurrection? Why can't we just, you know, God, can I just upgrade? <laughs> can I just... Next week, um, next week's message, we're going to talk about, um, I, I don't really know what the title of the message will be, but we could call it Getting the Body You've Always Wanted. Um, <laughs> but it'll be something, and we're going to talk about that. And uh, anyway, so verse 23 culminates with this change, and it's really good. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, there's that word again, and afterward those who are Christ's at this coming. If we jump ahead to verse 49, and as we have borne the image of that of the man of dust, that's Adam, the man of dust is Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, capital M, that's, that's Jesus Christ. We're going to look like Christ and we're going to bear his image. Philippians 3, and this is Paul said, Jesus will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. 1 John 3, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. These pas passages answer the question, you know, what will our bodies be like when we raise from the dead? And, and the answer is they're gonna, we're going to be like Jesus' body when, when he rose from the dead. And you say, well, okay, what, what was Jesus' body like when he rose from the dead? Thank you for asking that question. Okay. <laughs> our resurrected bodies will be our earthly bodies glorified. Okay? It won't be a different body. It's going to be this one glorified. Relax. If, if, if you're not happy about that, it'll, it gets really good, okay? But when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, you'll notice that he rose with the same body he had before, right? I mean, the tomb was empty. It wasn't still in there decaying, and he wasn't some phantom running around. He got up in that same body um, that came, there was a one-to-one -one correspondence with the bodies that went into Jesus' tomb and came out. Okay, all right. It was him, but it was him glorified. Jesus predicted in John 2, these are the words of Jesus, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then just, uh, just after that, in that same passage, John gives an editorial explanation. He says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body, his physical body. And I bring this up because some Christians assume that God's going to create for us a new permanent body ex nihilo, which out of nothing, that he's going to create it out of nothing and just create us another new one and give it to us upon death. If that was so, if there was no resurrection, then you can just go ahead and rip 1 Corinthians chapter 15 right out of your Bible because that's the whole passage. That's what that whole thing is all about um, if that's what it was going to be. And that's the whole premise. Our bodies are going to be resurrected from the dead. And here's how Jesus describes the resurrection in John chapter 5. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in graves... Now, that's descriptive. That's people who have died and had their bodies lowered into a grave. Okay? All who have had... Who, who, in which are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And nothing could be more graphic than that. It's, it's their bodies being resurrected. Now, that's why, and this is just a personal idiosyncrasy, this preference, I, th I think it's better for us to refer to that future state not as our new body, but as our glorified body, because there's a difference, and you're going to see it's your body glorified. So back to the question, why does God want to resurrect? Why, is he, why does he want to resurrect our, resurrect our body if we're going to have a new one? And the answer is, you're not going to have a new one. You're going to have this one, but it's going to be redeemed. 
It's going to be this one resurrected. It's going to be this one glorified. We're going to explore what that means. Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. That's when the redemption is complete. It, it, it happens, it's completed upon resurrection. So our resurrection bodies are going to be, our bodies glorified. Jesus had the same body, was glorified. And, but no, and now number two, our resurrected bodies will have advanced properties. Advanced properties. I'm, that's, I don't know how else to describe it. Here's what I mean. Jesus had some advanced properties, right? I'm not talking about what he could do because he was God. I'm talking about what was going on with his physical body. For example... John chapter 20, verse 19. Now, I'm just going to point these things out to you. I don't know. I was going to point out to you what was different about Jesus' physical capabilities at that point. John chapter 20, verse 19, he actually passes through solid walls. That'd be pretty cool, right? The disciples, here's the deal. The disciples are in the upper room. The building is made out of stone. All of the buildings then were pretty much made out of stone. Um, and the doors are shut and locked because they're afraid um, and Jesus enters the room. He doesn't knock. You know, he just, he's just in there. Then that same day at evening, before the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the, disciple, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, peace be with you. Okay. You can allegorize this if you want, but there are not a lot of passages in here where, G, where, where the Holy Spirit decides to tell you where people are that the fact that the doors were closed. And the first thing Jesus said is, I'm paraphrasing it. Calm down. <laughs> Something happened. <laughs> Something happened, and they're going, he's saying, peace. Peace, settle down. It's going to be okay. Another example um, of something that is um, advanced is he could suddenly disappear and be somewhere else. Luke 24, 31, he's, he's on the road to Emmaus, and, and he's walking and talking with these two disciples, and the scripture says he disappeared from their sight. He's gone. After he disappears, these two disciples, they head over to tell the, the, the 11 um, what's going on about seeing Jesus and then suddenly appears. Read this in, in Luke 24. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and suppose they had seen a spirit. And he said to him, why are you troubled? <laughs> what's the big deal? Doesn't this happen to you every day? You know, you know why are you troubled? This is funny. Isn't it funny to you? It's funny to me. Okay. Why are you troubled? And why do your doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it's myself. Handle me and see. Here's Jesus in his resurrected body. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Now, I love what happens next. When he said this, he shoved, showed them his hands and his feet. While they still didn't, but while they still still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, you got any food? <laughs> you got any ice cream? <laughs> you got nachos? So, so they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I love the fact that there's going to be food in heaven. <laughs> Jesus is eating. <laughs> there's not going to be any broccoli in heaven. I'm pretty certain. That would be a miracle. Okay, okay. 
But here's Jesus in his, his, his glorified, resurrected, flesh and bones, physical, real world. But he's got these other, 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 other world capabilities. Here's another example. On three different occasions in the New Testament, he's walking with people who knew him intimately, but they didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was at first. But later, they do recognize him when he reveals himself to them. Now, I don't know what that means, but it's pretty cool. I don't know why it's cool. The mischievous in me wants to be able to slip among and not know. Anyway, some, some people believe that, they didn't, that he wasn't recognized because of the, the terrible scarring and the marks that happened. Um, and, and that's a possibility at the crucifixion. Other people believe, and I kind of lean this way, that it's Jesus' body, but it's in a glorified form. It's the same, but it's different. And, um, okay, another one of his advanced properties, which is pretty cool, is that he apparently could move vertically. That's up and down, right? He's with his disciples, and all of a sudden, they, they, his body starts going up, and he just taken up into the clouds. Acts 1, 9, and when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, you could say, well, that's because he's God. It could be. Or maybe it's just one of the capabilities of his glorified body. Scripture doesn't say. So I'm not making doctrine about it. I'm just telling you, here's what Scripture says about Jesus physically after he was resurrected. That's different from before. I know he walked on water. That was a matter of faith. Right? But here are these things. He appears in a room. He disappears. He disappears. He shows up somewhere else. It's like transported or something. It kind of sounds like Star Trek, shapeshifter. <laughs> There's differences here. I, okay, and I just, I'm, just, I'm just reading to you these scriptures. And, and the passage goes on to describe these disciples who are watching him go up in the clouds, and this angel comes, and basically the angel says, hey, the same Jesus who left is going to come back just like he left. In the same, the word there means in the same manner. He's going to do this some more. Don't be surprised by that. And that becomes really important later, I think, downstream when we get further in the series and we talk about your ultimate destination, um, New Jerusalem. When I tell you how that, is, that location is constructed, um, the idea of moving vertically will have some very, very interesting possibilities. Anyway, so um, I, whether we're going to be able to pass through walls and disappear and reappear and move vertically, I don't know. But I, I know this, Philippians 2 or 3, verse 21 it says, Jesus will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So what will your body be like in the resurrection? Very possibly just like Jesus. Very possibly real, physical, and with other world capabilities. That's a possibility. Now, Paul goes on to describe um, what our bodies are going to be like more in this text, in the verses that follow. We're going to save that for next week. And, um, and, and next week, that's when I plan to answer some of the questions of things. Like, what if your body's handicapped? What, what if you've had a limb removed? What about cremation? We'll talk about that in a lot of other subjects. So I want to finish up today with the rest of the Varlow passage um, and, and the third aspect, and that's the future. Here's what he says in verse 24. Then comes the end. Then comes the end. That's when Jesus comes back and resurrects the body. When he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, and he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. There are going to be a lot of people who are only about ruling and authority and power. That is everything that's important to them, and Jesus is going to put an end to all of that. For people that that is their entire universe, 
They're in for a sad moment. That's not going to be good. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Yes. For he has put all things under his feet. Now, now that, that's quoting Psalm 8. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. He's, he's basically saying Jesus is not suggesting that he's going to put God the Father under him. Okay. Now, when all things are subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to, to him, the Father, who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now, Paul's been explaining the resurrection at a personal level, and then all of a sudden, he shifts to this big picture discussion. That's what's going on here. This is now the culmination of everything. Jesus is, is he, Paul is talking about Jesus is going to turn over the restored world to the Heavenly Father, to the the very reason that Jesus was sent was to recover it because of the fall, because of the curse, you know, from Adam's sin, because of the judgment that's going on and during the tribulation period, the world is now being renewed by Christ. And, and, and so, so, you know, we can think ahead here. I'll give you a quick, where this is talked about in other places, Revelation five, this is a picture of Jesus, the lamb taking the scroll, which is the title deed to the earth. And, um, from the Father, to take it back from Satan, the usurper, to recover the earth and present it back to the Father. And how's he going to do that? The Bible tells us in Revelation 20. Here's, I'm going to read to you just a couple of scripts. Uh, I didn't put it up for you this time, but Revelation 20. I'm always really, really careful about Revelation, not to edit or change or interpret. It just says this. Blessed and holy is the one who goes through the first resurrection, Scripture says. The second death has no power over him. I want to go through the first resurrection. <laughs> the second death has no power over those who've gone through the first resurrection. So people who are raised incorruptible without the presence of sin, without our old nature, unable to fall, unable to sin, there's no second death. And what's going to happen chronologically, there's going to be a thousand-year period on earth where there will not be any rebellion tolerated. Scripture says that, that Christ will rule with an iron fist. And at the end of that time, there's going to be another brief second rebellion, um, and, uh, and that will eventually be stopped, completely stopped. I'm way compressing a lot of teaching, and, and I'm not going to go down that today. But after that thousand-year reign, there's going to be a second resurrection that takes place. And this, and this time, it will be the unbelieving dead. And they will then be called up to stand before what's called the, the, the great white throne. The great white throne. You've probably heard of the great white throne judgment. And at that point, they will be given the capability to withstand eternal punishment. You do not want to be at the great white throne judgment. I plead with you. I beg you. If you, if you have not opened your heart to be, believe and receive Jesus as, as Lord and Savior, do it. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. I don't believe that God sends anybody to hell I believe Jesus stands at front, in, in front of the gates of hell with his hands in the shape of a cross almost, and he says, please don't go past me. You have to go past me to get in there. And people rush headlong. I will have nothing to do with Christ. I can't submit to God. Please don't go there. Please don't do that. And um, after all that's done, comes this eternal state and earth and heaven are basically done away with and God makes a new heaven and a new earth and a new capital city that's called the new Jerusalem. And um, 
So resurrection has been anticipated for a very, very long time. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he set into motion this chain reaction that requires your physical resurrection, your body raised and made glorified, and um, the first fruit signal of that coming harvest. Now, um, some people might say, well, Terry, everything that you're teaching today and what you've been teaching the last few weeks is all hooey. You know, it's just metaphysical nonsense, you know, and an unbeliever maybe would hear these things and say, hey, please, you know, it's kind of scoffing. Well, okay, let's play a logical argument there. Let's just suppose that there is no hereafter and, and this is all there is. There's no hereafter. Nothing matters. You can do anything you want, right? Because there's no, no consequence. Anything you want, nothing matters. But if there is a hereafter, nothing else matters. There's a guy who went to the doctor for a checkup. He calls the doctor a few days later, and um, the doctor felt kind of sheepish about the phone call because he obviously had failed to share some new, bad news with the guy. He said, I'm so sorry, I, I, I've got some bad news for you and some worse news. That's different. You're supposed to be bad news, good news. I got bad news and worse news. And the guy's thinking, well, this doesn't sound too good. You know, um, yeah, the doctor said, yeah, you've, the bad news is you've got 24 hours to live. And the guy said, 24 hours to live, that's not enough time to take care of anything. It's too late for me to make any changes, to do anything. What could be, what, that's the bad news. What's the worst news? When the doctor said, well, I was supposed to call you yesterday to tell you that. <laughs> It's a little bit funny, honey. <laughs> it's a th- even a little tiny. Okay. So <laughs> the point of that story is you may not have as much time to deal with as you think. And you're right, it's not funny. Um, here's the eternal truth of the gospel. God so loved the world and saw it unraveling in sin and corrupt. But he said, I, I can't let these people go where they're headed. I've got to make a way for them. And he sent his only son to pay the price, the terrible price, for the failures of our lives, for our sin. So that you wouldn't have to perish, but instead you could have eternal life. And scripture says, if you believe, all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. Call on him right now. Lord, I want to thank you. Here we are standing here talking about this topic. Somehow like we're peering over the edge of life into eternity. For weeks, God, we've been talking about what eternity is like, what death is going to be like for the believer, a little bit for the unbeliever. God, um, your scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We've thought about and anticipated your coming. There's a lot we don't understand about glorified bodies and resurrected bodies. It's all just stuff we're going to learn. Your word tells us that we see things dimly now and later we'll understand. God, I pray right now as your spirit speaks to those who just don't know you and says, come, come to the safe place. Come to the creator, to the one who can create for you eternity. The alternative is terrible. God, I pray that those that you are speaking that to now would find the safe, loving arms of Christ. And I pray, God, that there would be a something in their soul that finally says, okay, I don't know what this means. I'm not joining a church. I'm not doing this. I'm doing that. But I am going to turn to Christ as Savior of my soul. 
I'll let the rest sort itself out sometime tomorrow. Keep your eyes closed, church, but if that's you, just want to sort your eternity right for today. Would you just look up at me and let me agree with you in prayer? I won't embarrass you. Just make eye contact or wave your hand at me if I miss you. Lord, I am so grateful for a room full of saved people. Help us, Lord, to somehow be people who can share the good news with people under the leading and the power of your spirit. Thankful, Lord, too, for answered prayer, for learning to walk with you in prayer because you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, um, as you stand up, I'm going to have you go ahead.